Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 108 of Death Readers, the podcast where Rob and I discuss the books we're reading for the first time and share our thoughts and notes with each other. If this is your first time listening, we suggest reading The Legend of Dritz, book three, Sojourn. Prelude through chapter seven before listening to this episode, and that way you too can follow along. All right, I don't think we have any housekeeping, right? That's a, no. that's a thing of the past. These books don't require that. Um, well then, because I know how to do this show after 108 episodes, I know that that means we need to do our edition edition. Okay. Whew. Yeah, neon tenterhooks. I'll start. Please do. I'm reading a well-loved uh, paperback, trade paperback copy, probably. That. It says, uh, this edition, first printing, June 2006. First hardcover printing, December 20, two, or 2004. Originally published as book three of the Dark Elf trilogy in May 1991. And it says that the Library of Congress catalog card number is... Two zero zero four one zero six seven nine five. Now I wonder if I if I look at my edition, if the ISBN would actually tell me which printing I have. I would think it would. Yeah. Is it? Do you think it's the last number? Well, here, let me see what my ISBN is. Oh, see, I've got an E ISBN. Ooh. Shall we read them at the same time? Sure. Okay. <clears throat> Nine. Seven eight zero seven eight six nine five four zero three. Well, that's that's interesting. Two. My mine goes four zero zero seven three. Mine goes five four zero three two. Bizarre. What's your Library of Congress catalog card number? I said that already. I did. What was it? What'd you read? Two zero zero four one zero six seven nine five. Yeah, it's the same for me. Yeah, that, that probably wouldn't change with the printing. Hmm. We learned something today. I got this copy from Tidal Wave, our local used bookstore, sometime after, but probably not far after, September 4th, 2013. And it sat on my shelf for nigh a decade. Well, they certainly didn't have any more because I went to Tidal Wave in search of that book. It was not to be. Oh, why did you do that? Because I wanted a copy I didn't have to pay a lot for. Oh. Because at first I exhausted the library. Oh. Uh, I actually went in, too, on the off chance, because there are a couple of bound editions of the Dritz, collect- Dritz collections, like one, two, three, and one big volume. I thought maybe I'm not looking it up right, so I actually went in and looked. No book. I oh. went to Tidal Wave. No book. I looked on Hoopla. No book. I looked oh, no. on Libby. No book. I went to very like three different of those little pop-up neighborhood libraries you know the take a book leave a book no book i had to buy it from amazon oh god i know i'm sorry how much out of curiosity how much did you pay on amazon well my wife doesn't listen to this anymore eight bucks shucks because i feel like that's the actual published printing published price i think yeah, that's I, how much i think you could the... i think it was one of those you could buy the actual book for 750 or something like that but the digital ebook was no. Apex. I'm saying you could have gone to Barnes and Noble. They definitely would have had it. Oh, you think? Oh, I know. Oh, I okay. know for a fact that. Well, here, let me rephrase. I know that they have this ver- these paperbacks at the uh, there. That didn't even occur to me. I could have then sold it to Tidal Wave. That exactly. Been much, That's yeah. ex- 
exactly where I was going because you, yeah, sorry, man. <sighs> no, it's okay. It's okay. As one of those, I, I didn't think about it. I was done being out, and I'm just like, I got to get this red. So, well, there it is. Next Lives time, learn. maybe. Next time. Um, well, next time, least... I think I know someone who's got a copy of Crystal Shard, and I could just borrow that. Oh, really? That's yeah. cool. Oh, you know, you could also uh, potentially, you wouldn't have found it there, but you could also hit up like a thrift store. Sure. Especially like the Goodwills tend oh. to have pretty robust I feel like, sections. I feel like Crystal Shard is going to be a lot easier to obtain. Sure. I meant for this one. Sure. Um, but, but yeah, uh, I got the first four from Tidal Wave, like I said, in 2013, and I have been checking there again to see if the if the f- book five and six would pop up because those are the two that I need, presuming we get that far. Right. And uh, the only one they have in the same publishing, like the same spine design as my books, is bo- was book nine, last I checked. And uh, that's was, very there, far I think they had one book when I went. I forgot what it was because I knew it wasn't what I was looking for. Right. Um, yeah, it's a. Uh, I, I, I guess they might be kind of popular, but um, you know, they seem to they seem to constantly have Stephen King stuff, but not Bobby Salvatore. No. Um, what's your edition? <laughs> I just told you. Oh. The digital Kindle version from Amazon. Okay. What what are we doing here? I I thought maybe there would be more to say about it than that. I said everything. I gave the ISBN number. I'm just a, I was just asking. Don't you please don't yell at me. Please don't take re- my inquisitiveness as, as a threat to your masculinity. <laughs> when this recording is over, we're gonna have a little chat. <laughs> um, I wonder what else is to learn about these books before you you open them. <laughs> He dedicates this book to his editors. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. There's a real live actual map this time. Because you opened it? What? There's been a map in all of them. Yeah, I didn't like the uh, the map of Menzo Baranzan and whatever the fuck the second one was. This is a real map. It had trees on it. It does have trees. <laughs> Like a proper map should. Okay. This ain't no Legend of Zelda six dungeon map. Okay. Um. So do you want to get into talking about the map more, or are you done? <laughs> no, I, just, I was just happy to see a real map. Do you have anything to say about the map? I, de- I did notice that one inch equals 20 miles, which seemed ambitious for a map. Ah, that is that is ambitious, I, I guess. I'm not, I'm not much of a cartographer, so I don't know how what the norm what the average size of a map is yeah but you could consume maps like a regular person you can have a passing amateur interest in maps you have to be a cartographer i don't though but you could you could try the possibility of that is less than the reality which is zero okay but i do have a note on the map oh hey so I, I guess we're, we're I guess we're starting. Let's start. Um, that brings us to the map. So my note on the map is, uh, if you looked closely on the map, uh, you'd notice that I guess perhaps in this book we may meet Mushi. That's true. Because on the map is listed Mushi's Grove as a location. So. That's pretty exciting, considering how much I've built Mushi up in my own brain. Not not too far from Dead Ark Pass. 
No, not that far from it at all. Well, that's my note. Uh, <laughs> is uh, that we Mushi may is perhaps in this book, uh, and I'm done with my note on that now. So that could bring us to Prelude. All right, here's a summary of the Prelude. We get a glimpse into Dritt's new surface life, adapting to sunshine and wind, while his Piwifui tatters and his drow-crafted boots dissolve too far from the magic of the Underdark. We're also briefly introduced to the probable villain of this book, Ulgulu, a monster from somewhere else who kills other things to get stronger, I guess. And at that point, in my writing, that was accurate. Yeah. So if you if you if you've uh, ever seen Dragon Ball Z, he's kind of like Cell. I've not, and I don't know. To all of our Dragon Ball Z listeners, Ugulu's like Cell. Hey, any notes in the prelude? Sure do. I really wow. enjoyed um, both Dritz struggling to adapt and the cloak, cloak disintegrating. Yeah, I thought those were nice. Such things that I'd want to know about. I'm like, there's this character who has these attributes in this new scenario or situation. I like seeing that he's having, you know, to make changes, to, to go through something, to exist. He's also literally shedding the trappings of his former self. Very true. Sort of in his uh, chrysalis or pupa stage. Yeah, he's he's engaged. He's going through a metamorphosis, and when he comes out of it, he will be a bug. Mm-hmm. Any other notes in the prelude? So, well, I was going to ask about this Ulgulu or Ulgulu. Uh, it says he's from Gahana, and I thought maybe you would know what that is, but it sounds like you don't. Nope. Some sort of nether realm of evilness. Yep. But on a different plane, not just under the ground. Yep. But uh, you've not run into it in any of your texts. Nope. This is the deep. first exposure to it. You've not delved deep enough? I really haven't. I mean, I, I know that my uh, exposures to the dungeons and dragons are is more than yours, but truly not by much. I think that should bring us to... Part 1. Sunrise. Summary. Future Dritz just says everything we already read in the prelude, but as a testimonial instead of a narrative... Instead of narrative. Yeah. I have no notes. My note is, I think I wouldn't hate these parts as much as I do if they weren't repeating information we just read. Yes. They're fucking tedious. Yes. It's like, it's almost like he thinks, well, I just explained this. What if I have Dritz explain it? <laughs> it's like, what if I just do both? And I hate them. I'm not sure I my mean, audience got it the first time. Let's go over it again. Yeah, like it's almost like he's like... <laughs> If you didn't get it when I explained it in third-person omniscient, maybe you'll get it if I deliver it as a first-person, like, in community communication. It's like I I get it, man. It just feels like wasted pages. It feels dumb. I I'm done with that. Same. Then that brings us to chapter one. Poignant lessons. Summary: We begin with Dritz adapting to life on the surface, experiencing the day-to-day -day seasonal changes, and discovering new surface creatures like the skunk who sprayed him. While bathing in a nearby pond, Drizzt is surrounded by a Null gang. He befriends the goblinoids and joins them on their mission to raid a human village. 
But the Nulls wish to harm the human children and enslave the surviving adults. An act Dritzt hasn't and cannot abide. The Drow and his Panther dispatch the Nulls and chase down those who would make escape. And then the chapter ends. Do you, Do you have any notes, notes on this chapter? I, I have one. Okay. I know that many creatures from our world exist in Dungeons and Dragons, like wolves and rats and bears, sure. etc. Uh, and I knew that dire skunks existed, <laughs> but I cannot say I've ever noticed raccoons in the Forgotten Realms. Do they mention a raccoon? Yeah. They mention raccoon is either a something as like a raccoon or an actual raccoon. Oh, so he could be breaking the... I think it was this thing where somebody noticed eyeballs staring back at him from the from like right 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 the the, the knoll noticed it yeah he thought it was, it was like, thought it was gunweaver and it turned out to be a raccoon that's right right something like that um and uh, I honestly can't tell if it, the the way that they he wrote the skunk I I read it as being bipedal like I read it as being a humanoid oh. skunk no because I I totally got skunk because he or not let quadruped because he said like a cat but pointier yeah i guess that's still not enough for me because like or wasn't enough for me sure um because he described i don't know something about the way he wrote it made it sound like there was an actual sentient you thought it was was mushy mushy yeah i thought it was uh i thought it was like a uh i basically the way he was describing it i I expected it to be a visadrix (laughs) right 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 from from gahana no yeah. Um. Anyway, what's a, what's a Visitrix? Oh, it's not important. Okay. It's basically like a, uh, <laughs> uh, like a hairless pink, were rabbit. It's like a like an, a a scary muscular hairless Easter bunny. Like that thing that pops out of the hat in uh, the Joe Dante segment of Twilight Zone, the movie that terrified me. Probably. <laughs> but like six feet tall. Yeah. No. It's about. That's about right. This was, this was, fuck. Okay, okay. okay. Uh. Note to self, Rob, Rob encounters a Visidrix. Um. It's been so many years, but it's found me. All right, do you have any notes in that chapter? Sure I do, sure I do. Uh, I was actually amused by the scene with the skunk. <laughs> and then I realized Stockholm Syndrome is setting in. It reminds me a lot of like, the kind of humor I expect to find in something like Fox and the Hound. Yeah. Yeah, I can that see that. That sort of like, like, like silly, oh, row, row, kind of humor. Right, right. Before Todd and Copper never see each other again at the end. Another movie that scarred me as a child. Are we just going through the greatest hits? What else so, you got? You got to bring yeah. up Nutcracker Fantasy? Because fuck that movie. I was going to bring up The Fly 2. Oh, you piece of shit. We don't talk about The Fly 2. We don't. We don't talk about it. Good. And this is why. That's why I don't ever. That's why I can't have a dog again. Um. Okay. New note. <laughs> Does Gunweaver need to eat? He eats uh, on the astral plane. Remember, it hunts that deer. I thought that was for sport, and that was always they were always dancing that dance kind of thing throughout time. He always hunted uh, the deer, and the deer got away, and then they would always do that. I, I think that that is correct, but I also imagine that. Why not? Like, okay, why no, sure. Like, no, and I'm not. I'm not trying to be like, gotcha, book. You no, no, no. Liar. I don't. <laughs> but he I did say they way. would eat well tonight, and I was like, oh, that's weird. I don't think I realized Gunweaver ate since 
you know, Gunweaver can fall into a lake of acid and be fine. Yeah, but he, she, is it a she? He specifically calls it it in this book. I thought it was she from earlier books, but, and from Dritt's point of view, like he sent it back to the astral plane. And I was like, what? I think I almost wrote a note about that, but didn't. But now we're talking about it. So that was weird. Uh, So I don't know. Well, I was going to say she, she, uh, he, she, it, Gunweaver, Guinevere, the unidentifiable, the uh, ethereal, the ethereal, ambiguous uh, creature that it is uh, definitely got some brain at that village camp. True, true, true. And I kind of assumed that gave her a real taste for it. a, A feast was had. Sure. On that like ambrosia like dessert it's a good or point. like a like a gelatin mold Ugh. fruit cocktail style aspic yeah like like a like a head cheese yeah <laughs> like uh what's that shit called that uh fucking scrapple i always forget about scrapple everyone forgets about scrapple until it's in front of you Scrapple will remember you. Daring you down, reminding you that it's found you once again. It's like Spam's ugly little brother. Yeah, but I would still probably rather eat that than tofu. Really? I don't like tofu. I I always feel like I'm being robbed when someone feeds me tofu. It's just bean paste, man. Exactly. And they're always like, isn't this better than turkey? And I'm like, okay, okay. Now you're conflating two different things. You eat tofu for tofu. You don't eat tofu to substitute something else. You just enjoy the tofu. No, no, you're wrong. I don't do that. (laughs) Jesus, you're one of those people. I have only ever eaten tofu when someone's like, "Mm, I'm sorry, we're not serving murder tonight. Like when you go to the Chinese restaurant and you get like the bean curd sauteed with veggies over rice, that's fucking delightful. Uh, once again, no, I don't do that. Okay, what about, what about, okay, you got it to sushi. You get your sushi, right? But they bring you that little cup of miso with the tofu chunks floating in it? Mwah. No. I don't get miso with my Godzilla roll. Or my tempura chicken. Oh, boy. Got a lot of work to do. Cue the montage. <laughs> <laughs> Only the best, because a man is proud and a man got to learn to take it. Just me eating tofu and going, no, I don't want to. I don't want to. And then I get to hit you with a stick. You know, you point to what you point to like uh, a calendar and it says something like 30 days till tofu eating tournament. And I'm like, <sighs> and I like knuckle down or eating tofu and then like cross dissolve to me like doing push ups. And every time I go down, I eat some more tofu and then like cross dissolve to like me doing like jump rope. And every time I'm jumping rope and I'm like jumping over tofu so I don't smash it. Or something. I don't know. Oh, I love it. The tofu kid. And then I'm like, and then I grab a tofurkey and I rip it in half, like, like a phone book or a, <laughs> or, a, or a piece of a piece of wood. Neck cord standing out on your neck. Love it. Yeah. Um. Hey, back to the book. Aw. <laughs> I also really enjoyed Dritt's non-understanding of temperature, weather, and daylight cycles. Yeah, I like that too. No, it's actually yeah. These are, these are good moments. It it's goes like back almost, downhill though. Don't it's worry. almost like as the as the as the surface world warms up warms up. So do you to the book. <laughs> mm, let's not be hasty. It'll never go downhill. <laughs> so, and then I had a question, sort of answered. I just wondered if you had could expand on it since you are 
the end-all, be-all repository of D&D knowledge. Hit me, Chief. Uh, a ranger is like a class, right? They're like the D&D mm. equivalent of Aragorn? In, well, well, first off, Aragorn is a ranger. Sure, 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 sure. Check, but... Okay, oh, no, no, what? You know what? I'm wrong. I'm sorry. We don't have to have a fight about it. Strider is a ranger. Aragorn is the king of fucking Gondor. <sighs> He's also a Dunedin. That's true. Ah. Blessed with long life. I know some shit. Yeah. Um, Do you want to talk about rangers? I forgot before? what your question was. Oh, yeah. Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, rangers are a class, as they say. Do you want to tell me uh, what a ranger does, what it can do? Um, It depends on which, like, It wears a little leather jacket with a, with a ruff, and it hangs out with a uh, Magna P.I.-looking chipmunk, and they solve crimes with Monterey Jack and Gadget. That's only if they're interested in rescuing. Oh. Which it sounds like these rangers may be. Aha. Uh-huh. But uh, if you're asking me if these rangers are rescue rangers, uh, I'd have to say that the jury's still out. Falcon hand. Or I could say that you must, we'll have to see where the chips fall. Perhaps in the Dale. Dale. <laughs> Uncle Scrooge. Wrong show. That's DuckTales. Um, Bless me, bagpipes. Scrooge McDuck. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, Scrooge McDuck. Um, we'll have a whole anyway. conversation about that later. Uh, so, Rangers, they have uh, what? They uh, they can do... There's a variety of different builds. Uh, they, but can, uh, they, they can sword well. They can live in the woods. They can track, I bet. They're, they're trackers, skilled trackers. Do they hunt? Are they hunters? Well, for some reason... I don't see... Do I not own a player's manual? I must own a player's you've, manual. You've referenced one before, haven't you? You've pulled I've it referenced, out. I've referenced other books. Ugh. Do I just need to get on the D&D wiki? I mean, I could do that. You could, but you're not. Well, I'm trying to find the physical book first, because I like touching the physical books. Oh, here it is. We can't sing the rest of that song or else we'll get sued, 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 sued. All right. According to page 45 in the fifth edition player's handbook, a ranger is a warrior who uses martial prowess and nature magic to combat threats on the edges of civilization. Um, Okay. So within the context, the framework of the world, though, is there an organization of rangers? Is there a school for rangers? Is it a vocation? Is it a thing you do on the weekends? Yeah. Uh, Are you working for a king, a, a duke, an alderman? Are you paid by the city, it's like the state? Two days a month, one week a year, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Ranger, uh, warriors of the wilderness. Rangers specialize in hunting the monsters that threaten the edges of civilization: humanoid raiders, rampaging beasts, and monstrosities. Terrible giants and deadly dragons. They learn to track their quarry as a predator does, moving stealthily through the wilds and hiding themselves in brush and rubble. Rangers focus their combat training on techniques that are particularly useful against their specific favored foes. Thanks to their familiarity with the wilds, rangers acquire the ability to cast spells that harness nature's power, much as a druid does. Their spells, like their combat abilities, emphasize speed, stealth, and the hunt. A ranger's talents and abilities are honed with deadly focus on the grim task of protecting the borderlands. Okay. 
Okay, so they're protectors of the borderlands. Employed by who? Is this like a militia where they're just like, I'm going to be a ranger today? Or do they have to, is it like a knighthood? Do they get a commission? Like a druid has a religious order. A wizard has whatever you call those groups of wizards. A school. Sure. Um, but what, 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 what higher framework does a ranger answer to? Though a ranger might make a living as a hunter, a guide, or a tracker, a ranger's true calling is to defend the outskirts of civilization from the ravages of monsters and humanoid hordes that press in from the wild. In some places, rangers gather in secretive orders or join forces with druidic clerics. Many rangers, though, are independent almost to a fault, knowing that when a dragon or a band of orcs attacks, a ranger might be the first and possibly the last line of defense. This fierce independence makes rangers well-suited to adventuring since they are accustomed to life far from the comforts of a dry bed and a hot bath. Faced with city-bred adventurers who grouse and whine about the hardships of the wild, Me. rangers may respond with some mixture of amusement, frustration, and compassion. But they quickly learn that other adventurers who can carry their own weight in a fight against civilization's foes are not worth any extra burden. Coddled city folk might not know how to feed themselves or find fresh water in the wild, but they can make up for it in other ways. I mean, you answered the shit out of that question. I'm impressed. It certainly seems like the rangers that we are eventually going to deal with, we could probably talk about when we eventually meet them. Sure. What I know about, uh, there are ranger archetypes here listed in the book, and that's what I was going to get to, uh, what I was really wanting to grab the book for. There's basically... uh, in the in, in the basic player's handbook, and that does not mean that there's a, there's a limitation to the build, but in the basic player's handbook, there are two basic builds. The first mm-hmm. is the hunter. Emulating the hunter archetype means accepting your place as a bulwark between civilization and the terrors of the wilderness. As you walk the hunter's path, you learn specialized techniques for fighting the threats you face, from rampaging ogres and hordes of orcs to towering giants and terrifying dragons. Or, my preferred class of ranger is the Beastmaster. The Beastmaster archetype embodies an extraordinary friendship between the ranger and a special beast. I am Dar. The Beastmaster. These are my friends, Koto and Podo. They are, uh, they are ferrets. Yeah. I have seen this film. I know. That movie's the shit. I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. Oh, what I I thought. I remember hearing, but, uh. Again, I haven't seen it in a really long time. I and you've never seen it in 4Ks. <sighs> On a big, juicy, 86-inch TV. You haven't. No, I haven't. So, they bring I up... Have. So, they bring up that elf child, Dritz Saved. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it last book or the book before? Dritz saved the, the elf child in book one. Okay. Homecoming. Right. In the legend of Dritz. Yes. I, uh, it occurred to me that that child, that elf child could come back as the female character I've been asking for. Even possible love interest. I'm going to be very disappointed if that happens. 
That's kind of a trope. I, and I, of course, could not think of any examples, but it's kind of a trope to have that like <laughs> ageless protector save the child who grows up to become a love interest. And I find that incredibly creepy. Something very close to that happens in Halloween 3, season of The Witch. Yeah, yeah. when the guy with the mustache uh, hooks up with the Jamie Lee Curtis lookalike. When or maybe Dad just Bod- Jamie Lee Curtis. When Dad Bod hooks up with the 17-year-old and they yeah. have really, really gross uh, first meeting sex in a motel. And she's a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I have no problem with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. I'd forgotten all about that. So thank you. Uh, Part of I'm... why I didn't like that movie. <laughs> Uh, I'm hoping that doesn't happen here. That's all I'm saying. Me too. Uh, I mean, he's he's like centuries older than her. No, Wait, he's, no, he's, he's not, only he's about not, 50. Yeah, he's, he's decades. He's decades yeah. older than her. He'd be about 50. She'd be about 17. But they're both elves, so, you know. No, yeah. If there's points like, on the ears, play ball. No, don't. Oh, you said it. See, because I think they're born with those. Oh, no. No. And you said that? No. Which is like. Okay, you don't need to be creepy about it. Yeah, I think, like, once again, I'm the guy pointing out why it's creepy doesn't make me creepy. <laughs> I really makes want me, it to right now. That makes me like a like a law enforcement person. <laughs> are you sure? Are you sure their ears aren't rounded until they're like 20? Three? I, I'm going to go like with that. That's my new personal mythology. I haven't just, heard otherwise. Oof. I need to salvage something here because that's gross. You could have just said, "My bad." <laughs> you could have just been like, "Well, I guess I, I guess I made a mistake in saying that." You could is have that said an, that. Is that an option? It's always an option. Oh, my it's bad. Al- I made a mistake in saying that. It's always an option. It's. I want you to remember this. If you take away one thing from this podcast, <laughs> it is always an option to say, "Oh, I've made a mistake." <laughs> We can move on. <laughs> oh. If this is the moment it took, then by God, it was worth it. But, but boy. Um, yeah, not... so I, I also have to point out that it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a gamble what you've done suggesting that this is a possibility that you wouldn't like to see. Because if it does happen, you kind of win and you get to be vindicated and being like, see, I hate this. But if you lose and it never happens, then you're the guy who thought it up. I think I'm going to have to be fine with that. I know what evil lurks in the hearts of men. And, and elves. Drow. It's dwarves, right? That's what he says. It's it's of men and dwarves. Is that it? Who? That quote that you were saying. Wasn't that from Lord of the Rings? Which quote? I don't remember what we're talking about. The evil, about. evil that lurks in the heart of men. Oh, no, that's from the shadow. That's from the shadow. Who knows what evil lurks in the heart of men? And then I added dwarves. No, you added elves. Oh right, whatever I added. Don't you remember how Lamont Cranston was always like, "The shadow knows," and then he was talking to Shao Kahn, and he was like, "Where did you get that you- tie, Brooks Brothers? You are a madman." All right. The sun well, is shining, but the ice is slippery. You, he, Tim, Tim Curry wanted that beryllium sphere. 
Shang Tsung. Not Shang Tsung. Shao Kahn. Not Shao Kahn. This is definitely a Kahn, though. Because I was like, yes, okay, my Kahn. Uh, here's the thing. Okay. Shao Kahn's from Mortal Kombat. That's why I've corrected myself. I was wrong. The actor we've, we've talked... played Shang Tsung in the Mortal Kombat movie, pretty sure. The actor from The Shadow? Pretty sure, right? I'm pretty sure no. I'm pretty sure that was... Um, no, that's... Oh, I knew his name, too. He's he's the guy from The Last Emperor. Guys, I promise this John is... Lone. A, John Lone. John Lone. John Lone is from The Shadow. Oh, John Lone. Suck it. I'll wait. There it is. Shawan Khan. Played by? John Lowe. Mm. Um, meow, 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 meow. He was also uh, in The Hunted with Christopher Lambert and Joan Chen, who might have also been in The Last Emperor. I can't remember that. But she did direct the movie Show Show, The Sendown Girl, which she was, I believe, kicked out of China for. Weird. Not a lot of laughs in that one. Nope. Um, I'm trying to remember. I thought the uh, I thought Shang Tsung was in was in something else around that time that was similar, but now I'm Phantom. Maybe I never saw that one. He was not in Phantom. Okay, the Phantom. Actually, you know what? Maybe he was. Maybe <laughs> that's he is. He's in the Phantom. Oh he shit! The Great Kabai Shang. That's I exactly that what I'm mixing it up. Good because I've never even seen that shit. It's that like pulpy. Yeah, that that like '30s pulpy hero 30s, movie. Yeah, brought forward to like be overly colorful '90s movie. But still, for some reason, needing the yellow menace characters, like, I mean, we're a great people if we try to be, Kello. <laughs> we just need someone to guide us. Eesh. <laughs> um, okay, well, that answers all those questions. Well, I'm done anyway, with that chapter then. <laughs> yeah, let's move on, because I don't remember where we last... Oh, Rangers! You asked me about Rangers. That's what all this was about. Right. Um, the, uh... Yeah, Beastmaster is what I was getting at. I, I like <laughs> I like playing Beastmaster Rangers, because there's something, like, just... I think Hunter Rangers are the ones where you get to really more specifically pick your... Uh, like I forget what exactly it's called, but it's something like a chosen enemy. Okay. And so you can basically, when you you get to a certain level or early on, at some point you can announce like, I am proficient at killing X kind of creature. And there, I think they give you some like options. Sure. But one of them is something like I remember one time I played a ranger who who uh, specialized in killing uh, vermin, which isn't incredibly helpful. But I I started to earn money as a rat catcher. Okay. Because I was really good at, at catching vermin, and I was like, I can, I could get a pretty good living doing this. Like rats, possums, shrews, shrews, voles. Lots of things are vermin in Dungeons and Dragons. Let me tell you. What about other things that can be pests? Would would a skunk be a vermin? Is a vermin an actual like phylum, or is it just a generic name? Well, let me tell you. It's a, uh, it's it's basically a creature type. It's it's a it's a type of creature in Dungeons and Dragons. It, it includes. Oh, I mean, what's it, what's what's vermin in our lexicon in just the world? The I, I think world. it has to do with like creepy crawly tiny things that become infestations. Okay. I think that's w- without new word alerting it. I think that's because I, I, that's my understanding of the word. Okay. Um, in Dungeons and Dragons, 
this type of creature includes insects, arachnids, other arthropods, worms, and similar invertebrates. But it also includes... I thought it included, like, rats. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it only includes... That's odd. I think you just nullified your entire campaign. Oh, man. Well, hold on. Let me look give all that money back. Is this a... Maybe this is an older version of Dungeons & Dragons. This is... I think this is third edition? I don't know, man. Why do they have to make so many editions? This is the edition, edition, edition. Oh, oh, you know what? It might have been rodents. Oh? I might have selected rodents. Because, man, the internet really makes for great use of these things. You think you think it'd be oh so easy to to go through this, but anyway, the the real thing you should pick from what I remember is I think you may be able to to choose like even humanoid, which is absolutely what you should choose if you can, because there's so many things you can have an advantage on killing if you if it's a humanoid. There's so many mm-hmm. monsters you end up fighting that are humanoids. Yeah, that's pretty generic. Even a Balrog's kind of humanoid. Well, they have specific. When you look at the monster manual, it would say specifically something like. Within reason. It would say something like large beast. So you're in a beast category. Or if you're in. If you looked up a. Uh, a white. It would say undead. Which is the the category. But if you looked up. Man. See if I can find a humanoid now. Talk, all this talk about, oh, how many of them you'll fight. And I won't be able to find one. Would a werewolf be a humanoid? I think it's like a... Maybe I'm thinking of like a different version or something. But like, because everything I'm looking up is like... Everything I think would be a humanoid is like... Nah, bro, that's something else. Like, that's a fiend. Or... Or that's a construct. Or that's a fae. Well. Not finding it. Maybe I was... Maybe I've played Dungeons and Dragons wrong my whole life. Glad we set the record straight. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. My my identity isn't compromised. Should we move on to chapter two? <laughs> yeah, because we're done. Talk. I'm done answering your questions about rangers, and we've got five more chapters to go. I so I thought you were. I thought you answered it very well. Fine, I answered it two well. Two minutes. Fine. I just like talking about rangers. Clearly, you do. Because you can get a pet with your beastmaster. That's the thing. You can be like. I'm going to go out and I'm going to look for a wolf and it's going to be my companion. Or I need a dire badger. He's or a, pa- be a panther? My... It's going to be my... A pan... Well, I mean, yeah, if you want to be all dritzed about it. No, Dar has a panther. He does. They both Although have D on... names. In in glorious 4K, you can tell that it's just a tiger. <laughs> mm. Painted black. Hmm. I felt like I was under the impression that panthers had stripes. They were just kind of black on black and hard to see. But it occurs to me now that maybe I just watched Beastmaster a lot as a child and developed that opinion. The way that due to young Einstein, for the longest time, I would argue emphatically that Albert Einstein was from Australia. (laughs) Because why would they make that detail up? I did not get it. And that was embarrassing. So panthers and jaguars and leopards and pumas are all very closely related in that in a, in a lot of ways to the point where a lot of times panthers will actually just be uh, melanistic jaguars mm-hmm. or or leopards. 
and the main difference between those two things being the continents they're from. I mean, right. there's other things, but if sure, you want to sure, look sure. at wh- which where you're talking about what, it's it's from those places. There's other differences too, like their uh, I forget exactly what it's called, but their uh, their spots, which are not actually called spots, they're called something else. I just I never remember the right name, and I always mean to learn it so that I can use it when it comes up like this. Rosettes, that's it. Oh, good word. They're called rosettes. New word alert. So a the the leopards uh, rosettes are they're like packed really tight together, mm-hmm. and they're like the the rosette being a, a, a I think this is the the way you would describe them without actually googling the definition, but they're the uh, the spotted pattern on the the fur of the of the cat. And on a leopard, they are, like, they make sort of a circle. They make sort of a circle together, but they're actually, like, little tiny black spots that sort of make up the circle. And on a jaguar, they're less densely packed, and they have little tiny uh, dots in the middle. Also, the shape of the creature is different. Um, the 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 jaguars are, they're just, they're, they tend to be more bulky and, like, like thicker. And... When it comes to a panthers, I'm fairly certain you can have a panther in both leopard and jaguar. Hmm. Um, so it's like a classification of cat, not a. It's like saying it's like it's it's, it's like, like saying albino. Had, yeah, but the opposite. It's a. Um, yes, I get it's the opposite. I'm saying the way the word can be used for any kind of person, as long as well, no, because you characteristics. can't. Because you wouldn't call a melanistic horse a panther, whereas no, if you had an albino, for, yes, any cat. But you wouldn't call a melanistic tiger a panther. No, is melanistic no. a thing, or are you just making that up? Because because is, is it their is it their skin or which has melanin, or is it their fur? I'm I'm gonna Google it. <laughs> this is cat talk. I have I, I didn't make up the word I uh, or this. Let me rephrase. I didn't make up the conjugation of this word. I have seen it uh, in reference to specifically animals. Let's, ho- let's see if I can find it in that conjugation in any of this text. Find. Because I, too, have had the same question that you just raised before about that question of being like, well, you know how they they always say, like, polar bears aren't actually, like, they don't have white fur. They have... Hollow fur. Hollow fur, right. Uh, because well, according to, according to this, um, this, this article on Bio One... Dot org, uh, they use the the word melanistic multiple times in this article. In that same context, yes, melanistic birds were sometimes mistakenly named as new species. That's what mm-hmm. I yeah exactly gotcha. gotcha. And if I right click and look up melanistic, it brings yep 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 I was right. Uh, it brings me to melanism derivatives being melanistic an adjective. Usually a darkening of body tissue caused by an excessive production of melanin, especially as a form of color variation in animals. So you wouldn't, back to my point, you wouldn't call a melanistic horse a panther, but you would call a albino horse an albino. What would you call a melanistic tiger if not a panther? You'd call it a melanistic tiger. I don't like that. Well... That's not how science works. No, science. I think science uh, is wrong, and we need to invent a whole new classification of naming uh, 
nomenclature. And I'm going to be at the forefront of it. However, huh. I may be also wrong. Oh. This thing says... Uh, the difference between panther and jaguar is that panther is the broader term used to refer to any big cat. It is the name of a genus and not species. Well, the, I mean, growing up, the, the cool thing they talked about was the black panther. So panther didn't necessarily mean black because it was always modified with black. Right. But I think more specifically, again, it's, it's it has to do with the, the genus. It, it's, it's specifically important just, just to point out that it isn't a species of cat. As long as we're both on the same page yeah, about that. It's a genius. But I'm saying it it makes sense that Panther doesn't have anything to do with the color. Because people, no, Panther does. No, it's a It genius. also does. It it also I, has to do that. It also like has to do with the later. color pattern. I mean, this this uh <laughs> terrific podcast. Uh, the, this, hey, uh, man, I said chapter two like 20 minutes ago. This uh, chart I'm looking at references the, the color pattern for panthers as being ranging from dark brown to black color, whereas the range for a jaguar would be ranges from tawny yellow to reddish brown color. So I'm, I think that it, it is both things. Like, it can refer to, like, you could say a jaguar is a in the panther genus, but if you called it, like, a panther, people would go, yeah, but, like, also... Yeah, people are bo- stupid. This this melanistic jaguar is also a panther. But does yeah. it actually have more melanin? See, I don't like any of this. This is all stupid. I feel like this was put together by a Science bunch of is stupid. I don't like it. No, I didn't say science is stupid. Science is great, but the naming process is stupid. Okay, take it up with science. I will take it up with science. Here we go. Both panther and jaguar are part of the cat family, but the former is a genus while the latter is a species. We've already gone over that. I understand. Still your frustration. Jaguars are indigenous only to the Central and South Americas, whereas panthers live in a variety of natural habitats found in three major continents of the world, viz. Africa, Asia, and the Americas. Panthers vary in terms of their weight. Some even, some of them even reach 330 kilograms. Jaguars, on the other hand, do not hit the limit of 100 kilograms. Depending on their species, panthers assume different color patterns and appearances ranging from dark brown to black, whereas jaguars are primarily of tawny yellow color, which can range up to reddish brown color. The lifespan of panthers also differs in terms of their species. The minimum maximum life limit span of panthers is 12 to 17 years, while a jaguar lives for 12 to 15. In conclusion... Both panther and jaguar is, are members of the cat family, but what distinguishes panther from a jaguar is that a panther is not a separate species. But they're not melanistic. That is not necessarily conclusive here, because that's not what this article is about. But what makes them black? Is it their coat, or is it an excess of melanin? Because if it's not an excess of melanin, they're not melanistic. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it to you more than I've already explained it. Exactly. The, 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 like three minutes where we had a poor connection, you weren't talking to me at all. I was talking. I was. I didn't stop. I was worried about that. The term melanism refers to black pigment and is derived from the Greek. Melanism is increased development of the dark colored pigment melanin in the skin or hair. Okay. I guess that conclusively tells me that black panthers have an increase of melanin in their hair doesn't tell me that you didn't tell me that 
didn't I? No, you told me that's a definition of melanistic. You did not tell me that panthers have that in their hair. What? That's what it is, though. It's not what you told me. You didn't tell me why black panthers are black. You told me because what melanistic can refer to. That I don't know. There might be another I, reason coats I can be black. I said that they were melanistic, and you said, I don't think they are. Is that the skin or the hair? And then I explained well, wait, it. Are you saying it, or hair. did you read that they were melanistic? It's both, Rob. I'm reading the thing and reading it to you. Calm down. <laughs> I'm the one. I'm the uncalm one. I think so. I'm the excited one. I think so. I'm the one who's I'm, losing control. I think I'm just kind of simply explaining to you how science works and you're throwing a fit because you can't see it happen in front of you or something. Like one of those like people who are like, listen, I just want more tests. Okay. I want to see more research, more tests. And then maybe, then maybe I'll get the vaccine. That's what you sound like. That's not what I sound like. I don't think they think they sound like that. Well, they're dumb. Chapter two. (laughs) Questions of conscience. Uh, summary. Stricken with guilt over slaying the Nulls, Dritz surveils the human family who were their intended victims in the hopes of deriving their innocence. He mostly notices their farming habits, and eventually, the youngest child of the human family takes a long walk into the woods. Dritz follows and is eventually spotted by the boy who escapes the drow and returns to his family. Do you have any notes? Uh, one. Now I know this book is better. He cleaned his swords. Oh, did he? I missed that. He cleaned them on the, uh, on, on like leaves. After taking out the nulls. I was very excited. Good job, Dritz. Any other notes? Nope, that's it. Then that brings us to... Chapter 3, The Whelps. Summary. We're introduced to Ulgulu, Kemfana, and their goblin horde. They're upset to learn that their null slaves died at Dritz's hand, or presumably at someone's hand at this point. So they send out a sprite named Tephanus to learn how the nulls died. In the second half of the chapter, the Thistledown children plan to prove that Dritz exists. They hike out to the mountains to recreate the circumstances which caused Dritz to appear the first time, and it works. Dritz appears, disarms the children, emotionally and physically, before they run away terrified, soiled, and observed by Tephanus. My one note, Tephanus is annoying. Yeah, I... There's something I find charming about his existence, but I also hate it. And I I think what I hate about it is that it's... He's actually a... He's like Sonic the Hedgehog. He's like a two-foot-tall, fast thing. That sucks. I really, really wanted him to be an actual, like, fairy. Like, flying, eight inches tall. Max. Zipping around with a little rapier and pixie dust. Yeah. And slashing at Dritz. But instead, he's a two-foot-tall, I think physically running, not flying, thing that zips around and stabs him. I think I didn't enjoy the execution of his fast speech. Yeah. Um, because we got a couple of examples and then we're told that's what was happening instead of, you know, just letting it happen. I also didn't like how Ulgulu would swing back and forth from I'm outraged and enraged about these dead gnolls to I'm so charmed by this rascal Tephanus and back. It was just, 
He's like Jabba the Hutt. Jabba the Hutt has to be all, oh, 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 um, like my new artwork or whatever he says. And then he also has to be like, oh, look at you, Salacious Crumb. You're so silly. He's got to be both of those things. I don't things. think I remember Jabba ever being charmed by Salacious Crumb. Yeah. He laughed he menacingly so to make people... No, I, that's why he keeps him close. I don't remember seeing him laugh at Salacious Crumb. He laughs a lot, Rob. He goes, oh, oh, To oh. inspire fear. I don't think he ever no, has genuine he's a mirth. comedy uh, fan. But then, it, you know what? Then George Lucas is a better writer than uh, R.A. Salvatore. Why do you think the, the Jabba Sailbarge had a, had a, like, had a stage and open mics? It's because he really liked encouraging young Jabba comics Sailbarge didn't have to get a stage. up there and take a chance. Of course it did. No, it didn't. Of course it did. No, it was it right in front of that big room. cannon. That no. Luke, like that Leia turned around and shot right into it, and then it, it like exploded. It Many matter? young comics died that night. Their voices cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced. I want to welcome everybody to the Both and Laugh Factory. Ah, uh, guess Alderaan blew up. You guys seen this? You heard about this? <laughs> yeah. Some big, they, they, you know, forget about the uh, balance in the budget. <laughs> that can't can't balance the budget when uh, you're dust. <laughs> that's that's my time. Do you have any notes? No, fuck no. Okay. Uh, that'll bring us to chapter four. Worries. Summary. Upon hearing the children's tales. The town folks plan to investigate the mountains and see if there is a drow up there. Dritzt, seeing the band of farmers coming for him, sends Guinevere out as a distraction. And all but one of the band pursues the cat. The remaining farmer is a burly man wielding an axe and accompanied by two hunting hounds. Dritzt is attacked by Tifanis and lets out a yelp, which alerts the dogs to his location. A fight between Dritzt and the human ensues, Ending with the man losing an ear and Dritz killing one of the dogs. Do you have any notes for that chapter? I enjoyed the name Roddy McGristle. Yeah? <laughs> it sounded like a Scottish fast food mascot. <laughs> All the foods <laughs> made out of the bits of awful that McDonald's passed on. Yeah, the <laughs> the McHaggis, right? Like Roddy McGristle, you'll have it my way. <laughs> Yeah, the McAggis. You know there's people who, like, travel around Scotland just keeping up with the McAggis? No. Yeah, they just go around, and every, every everywhere it is regionally, you know, because it goes around regionally. Is there a McAggis? Is that a real thing? No, Rob, it's, I'm... <sighs> Jesus, dude, I... If I, if, I ha- if I explain the joke... Look... Anyone, anyone who thought it, it... You know what? No one thought it was funny. Look... Here's the thing. That happens with the McRib. I know. I'm not done. I was in Greece, and they had a Greek Mac. Two all-beef patties in a pita with tzatziki sauce. So I I thought it was a real thing. (laughs) You sold me. I thought it was a real thing. I'm like, oh, shit. You said, you said McHaggis. I'm like, yeah, that's funny. He's making a joke. You're like, there are people who travel around because it's regional. I'm like, oh, shit, this is real. <laughs> so don't blame me because you're such a good liar. 
All right, I'll put my I'll put my skills at lying to the test. Okay. I'm sorry. Because you said the thing about the skills, uh, I think you might not be telling me the truth. I don't know what to tell you. How about how about you apologize? I just did. <laughs> no. How about you really apologize? Oh. <sighs> sorry, man. Thank you. Hey. See, I can be subtle too. You done? Uh, I didn't like that dead dog. Some, yeah. I didn't hate it. Sometimes you gotta uh, break a few labs to make an omelet. <laughs> what else you got? I mean, I didn't like the dog dying either, but I also like. It's one of the dangers of being a ranger. You can't just bring out an animal you you care about and then be bummed that it died in battle. Buddy McChrystal's not it... a ranger, was he? No, but he has animal companions. Like it, it goes the same way. Like uh, I see. Like if 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 Guinevere dies in an acid pit with a bunch of dire corbies attacking it, well, you know, Dritz, you brought her out here. Okay, first of all, every time you say dire corby, I every time I read dire corby. I think Dire Corgi. Oh. It seems incredibly different to me. And um, I thought here you were trying to get away from killing dogs. But I think I don't like it in the R.A. Salvatore sense that it just seemed like a cheap thing to do. Oh, okay. You know, like when Dickens killed Little Nell and it was melodramatic and ridiculous and everyone mocked it. Who's Little Nell? From Sounds like a horse. The book, Little Nell. He can't kill a book. Books aren't alive. I think you can. Anyway. Okay. Um yeah, I didn't have a problem with it in that way. I I cuz I I kind of felt like the point of it was to make to to you know, build the conflict between Dritz and the people further where Dritz himself did actually do something to harm these people because at this point he isn't actually guilty of anything uh, except voyeurism Mm -hmm. and is that really a sin it's not in the bible doesn't say thou shalt (laughs) not peep Um, (laughs) but uh but the i think in this in this point he he's supposed to be misunderstood but no matter how misunderstood he is after this he still killed that dude's dog true and he knows that that's true and so i don't i don't see it as like a shock value thing i see it as a thing that's that is upsetting in a way where you're supposed to understand why dritz would be upset for having done it and And in that way i don't feel like it's cheap Hmm. okay and in uh in the interest of my honor Little Nell died in the old curiosity shop. There's no book called Little Nell. I was full of shit. I never read it. I just know a a sort of one-off reference from Doctor Who that Little Nell's death is mockable. It was in the curiosity shop? The book, yeah. Oh, with with the lead pipe, Professor Plum. So Dickens invented Clue? Really? You done with that chapter? Yes, I am. All right, that brings us to 
Chapter 5, The Stalk of Doom. I was really hoping this was about a evil celery, mm. but it's not. Mm. Summary. Disguised as Drist, Ulgulu slaughters the Thistledown family members left behind at the farmhouse and leaves Drist's broken scimitar as, a, as part of his attempt to frame the Dark Elf. Later, Drist investigates the ransacked dwelling and leaves in a miserable state of revulsion, not realizing the surviving residents will make the connection and blame him for the murders. Yeah, he missed the planted evidence that would implicate him. Yep. This again, it seemed cheap to me. I, I didn't like that they killed the Thistledowns. I loved it. Really? Yeah, I liked it because it felt very much like one of the things that's fun about Dungeons & Dragons is where you take a pre-established story and reapply it into this world. And this very much felt like a grim fairy tale story. This felt like a monster from the mountains comes to a, a, a farmhouse with these nice, gentle, wholesome people and eats them and rips them apart and consumes them. And that all feels very grim to me. And in that way, it felt like a reasonable escalation into the violence that is absolutely present in many Dungeons and Dragons campaigns. And so making that a part of this like book and not like shying away from it and in a way kind of leaning into it. And it's also, I felt like really gross, like this idea of this, this creature uh, that like eats, eats people and then gets stronger with eating them. And, but like, and then imagining like Dritz himself being the one, like the, the shape of Dritz being the one who actually has to eat these things and then having to sort of ex like a snake extend his jaw out in this unnatural, disgusting, cartoonish way to force them in and, and consume them like, like Egger in Men in Black or something. Like it, it, it I, I just loved all of that. But he didn't eat them, right? He was killing them with the sword to make it. He, he had to talk himself out of eating them. There were some of them that he ate in, or he he ripped in half, and I presume that he ate those halves, and I'm fairly certain he mentions eating some of them. Yeah, I think you're right now that you mention it. I think he did, like, oh, I shouldn't have done that, because I got a plan. Right. All right. Because when, when Dritz goes back and investigate, he, he notices a half a person. I know that happens. And he's very upset by it. Again, this is like... It's all. This all feels like reasonable character building for the 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 heroic Dritz de Worden of being like one of the, it's reestablishing, reaffirming these things we already know about him, and that he doesn't like it when innocents are slaughtered, and he really, really doesn't like people who slaughter innocents, and it's part of his like character trait that he that he is like one of the other things you have in Dungeons and Dragons when you play is you sort of like, uh, especially in five, fifth edition, you're encouraged to come up with like little personal credos or mottos or things like that that help drive your role playing mm -hmm. and they can be something like i use humor to to cope with stressful situations or it can be something like i never travel without my book of poems or i can't leave a room without stealing something or so something like that right and it seems like one of dritz's like character notes there would be that he can't leave innocence unavenged <laughs> or, or something like that. He, he can't like, he can't stand by and watch innocence be murdered or killed. And if they, if, and if that happens and he knows about it, he's going to go get vengeance for them. Um, so again, I, we've seen that with the elf. I don't know if we've seen it much in the last book really. Cause the deep gnomes don't really get 
murdered and he doesn't really go back to save all the slaves that are left over in the Ithilid uh, camp. But, but in this case, and also it may be one of those children things. It might not just be innocence. It may be specifically children. He can't handle children being murdered. Right. But this all just feels like, I don't know. I, I, I can see what I feel like Bobby is trying to build here in the character of Dritzt. And I'm not mad at it. Okay. Also, it, it adds a level of this sort of horror also adds a level of risk to the other innocence in the world that I feel like with other, was otherwise absent up to this point. Because you can't have that risk with Dritz because he we know he isn't dead. We know he won't die. So having to force your unkillable character to watch others get killed is like one of those things like that happens to Superman a lot where you have to just sit back and watch the you know that you are invulnerable but not everybody else is and sometimes you can't stop them from getting murdered and that's torture right and so dritz has to experience some of that which again i feel like is a fine time for him to experience that and while all of this still feels like one very long origin story it's fine and i feel like it also brings it, it at this point i thought it brought tension to the story but by the end of this episode i feel like it some it it essentially just gets resolved. Yes. <laughs> and and that's that's a bit of a bummer. He could have, we he could have totally set up there. Drow Hunter and instead right. uh it's just over. Right. Do you have any other notes in this chapter? No. I do. I really like the premise of this book so far. I feel like Dritz seeking to assimilate to life on the surface, but struggles to overcome the prejudice of that humans have against Drow is completely reasonable to expect given all the world building we've read up to this point. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, you know, that would on its own be an interesting, challenging look at how this character has to adapt and, and, and assimilate. But on top of that, we also add literal monsters are also sabotaging that plan and framing him for murders. And I feel like that's a really, it's doubling down. It's like, He's not going to have it as easy as having to walk into town, hand someone his scimitars and say, I'm, I'm a friend. Uh, it's going to be much more difficult. I thought that was good. Okay, that's fair. I also didn't expect his scimitars to break. Right. Like like the one is weakening and the other one's already snapped in half. Right. And Probably because you cleaned like the blood off. <laughs> I feel like it's entirely possible that they'll be restored or that he'll get replacements. I'm sure he'll get replacements because they, they made a big point about how the magic is fading. Right. And they're harder to use and they're less effective. I'm sure he's going to get either swords that work for the upstairs world or swords that work for both. Right. I'm saying specifically he might get the very same metal that was used to make his original oh, I scimitars see. So reforged and yeah. re-enchanted. Okay. That's an, what I'm. So it's either it's either that the the re, repair restored, or just straight up replacement scimitars. But I also really can't imagine him moving on to a different weapon. No. I feel like scimitars are like his. Like it'd be like Michelangelo grabbing size. You're like that's the wrong Ninja Turtle. That's not how this works. No, he's got to have you're, his twin scimitars. I agree. You're not you're not proficient in bow staff, Michelangelo. Get in your lane. What? He's a party dude, man. Don't be mean. Whatever. Go do a keg stand with your fucking nunchucks, nerd. Um. Yeah. Uh. Got to stick with the scimitars. But I also thought, like, like, 
it was again unexpected because he he relies on them so much and then like again as i mentioned earlier it, a lot of this is salvatore stripping away the all the trappings of the underdark that Dritz clings to the, even the bits he clings to. Cause he, cause they benefit him. He has to shed, he has to, you know, walk away from and adapt to, you know, whatever the surface world's version of those are. I would also be interested to see if he somehow, when he gets his new scimitars or they get, they're brought back. I'd be very interested to see who forges them because it's, I feel like the easy way out would be for Dritz to do them himself or for Dritz to encounter someone who's really good at smithing and they do it for him. Right. Do you think, do you think they might be presented to him if like he proves his innocence to anyone who might be looking into the case and then they have the swords reforged and then give it to him? Yeah, I'd believe that. And I'd especially believe it if it happens right before heading out to the climax of the book. Sure. Uh, but then again, I thought the climax of the book would... I thought the whole book was going to be building up to killing Kalugu. Ogulu, yeah. Ogulu, yeah. Uh, but it isn't. Ogulu? Damn it. Doesn't matter. It's At this point, it's really not important. Right, because he's dead. Yeah. yeah. Well, that we'll brings us to... Part two, The Ranger. Summary. Future Dritz lets us know that he knows the Barkest Whelp is responsible for the deaths of the farm family. At this point in the story, he doesn't know that. Meaning... He will learn it before the end of this book. Kind of deflates the tension of the upcoming pages. Also, nothing in these pages have anything to do with a ranger of any kind. <laughs> That's my note! Double lame. So, this is where I think I might have realized that part two encompasses X many chapters and all of that part is called the ranger. This is the okay. first time I realized that's what he's doing here. And this is just a prelude to that part that he's written, which has nothing to do with the ranger. But I had up until this point been calling that that whole his little future self missive the ranger. But no, it's he's talking about the whole thing. Yeah, it's just structured really badly. Between, yeah, he's talking about everything between the part two, the ranger and part three, whatever that is. Right. Which I didn't. I up until now, I'm yeah. just like, there's no, what? There's nothing about a ranger in this unless. Oh, Okay, I get it. Yeah. But I had to be that dense. Oh. Because, yeah, there's nothing about ranchers in this. It's just... What was this one about? I... Truth? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I didn't pay attention because it was so dumb. But I had made that connection to what he was doing with the parts up to before now. But I, I was more thinking of them like you would acts in a play. Sure. And, and knowing that in an act in a play, it's not just like, you know, the title card. Right. Um. But then again, title cards don't usually have a bunch of fucking text in them. I think it. I think it probably needs its own title card. It needs to be like part two, of the Ranger. Nothing else. Turn the page. Here's my little aside. Turn yeah. the page. Here's the chapter. If you have to have that aside in there, that's how you need to structure it. Yeah. Well, editor notes. notes. Nope. <laughs> that brings us to chapter six, Sundabar. All right. Summary. This chapter introduces us to the aptly named Dove Falcon Hand. A strong lady ranger and her friends who are tasked with investigating the drow sighting in Maldobar. Uh, my note, my only note in the chapter is, is this a female lead? It seems like it might be. Uh... Also, I really like, my, my second note is I really like the name Dove Falconhand. It, again, feels so much like a Dungeons and Dragons name. 
It's not Roddy McGristle. No, but they, but it's both pretty of good. The same ilk. It's pretty good. Roddy McGristle's the best name. I'm Suave Danger Fists, <laughs> and I'm the 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 toughest and most handsome fighter in in all the Thord Coast. Um, being that we got this sort of info dump and not enough pages of at least three new characters, but a couple more were mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of felt like it was a little rushed and it felt like, and, and subsequently it felt like everybody was, they were all expositing. Like they were all C-3PO talking to each other. Yep. Got a little eye rolly. Yep. Uh, and then, so another Ranger question. Mm. I thought Rangers were all like dirty people who lived off the land and wear riveted leather like Robin Hood, but I guess they get nights off. Or go to dignitary functions. It seemed like she had to get dressed up to like. She, she didn't. Oh yes, but she also through the entire chapter seemed to object to it. Oh no 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 no! I'm not saying she didn't want to go do it. It was just weird. No, that I'm the saying Rangers... she didn't want to go do it. And I agree with you. Okay, but you said I'm not saying she didn't want to go do it. So I, that was why I was confused. Well, then I am saying that she didn't want to go do it. No, you're saying she did want to go do it. Now I'm saying she didn't want to go do it. Right didn't yes right but that's not what you said at first sure it may have been what you meant but you didn't hey you know what i was wrong no no you're not wrong i was wrong but now now we're both right sure but you're more right no that's not the point but it's a it's a happy extra it's a perk it's not even no it's odd for you to be right i there i have to disagree with you and since we've established i'm right I think I'll take it. I think you're not right anymore. No, now you're just you're left out in the cold. No. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. Nothing else really to say about that. Uh, I will say that um, these rangers, without having the holy aspect, do remind me more of, of like paladins, which uh, at least in the way I've always read like them like the difference is and as we read in the player's handbook rangers are often quite solitary unless they're in a a larger adventuring party often made up of people of differing classes sure to have a band of three rangers run around doing things together it feels more like something a paladin would do than and a paladin's a different than a knight or paladin's the D word for knight Oh, the player's handbook. It returns. Paladin. Uh, from page 82 in the 5th edition player's handbook. Hardback. Clad in plate armor. There's only one back. <laughs> Clad in plate armor that gleams in the sunlight despite the dust and grime of a long travel. A human lays down her sword and shield and places her hands on a mortally wounded man. Divine radiance shines from her hands. The man's wounds knit closed, and his eyes open wide with amazement. A dwarf crouches behind an outcrop, his black cloak making him nearly invisible in the night, and watches an orc warband celebrating its recent victory. Silently, he stalks into their midst and whispers an oath, and two orcs are dead before they even realize he is there. Silver hair shining in a shaft of light that seems to illuminate only him. An elf laughs with exultation. 
His spear flashes like his eyes as he jabs again and again at a twisted giant until at last his light overcomes its hideous darkness. Whatever their origin and their mission, paladins are united by their oaths to stand against the forces of evil. Whether sworn before a god's altar and the witness of a priest, in a sacred glade before nature springs and fae begins, or in a moment of desperation and grief with the dead as their only witness, a paladin's oath is a powerful bond. It is a source of power that turns a devout warrior into a blessed champion. So, further, a paladin swears to uphold justice and righteousness to stand with their go- with the good things of the world against the encroaching darkness and to hunt the forces of evil wherever they lurk. Different paladins focus on various aspects of the cause of righteousness, but all are bound by the oath that grant them power to do their sacred work. Although many paladins are devoted to gods of good, a paladin's power comes as much from a commitment to justice itself as it does from a god. Paladins train for years to learn the skills of combat, mastering a variety of weapons and armor. Even so, their martial skills are secondary to the magical power they wield. Power to heal the sick and injured, to smite the wicked and the undead, and to protect the innocent and those who would join them in the fight for justice. Now I'm curious about gods. Oh yes. Is there a list of gods and religions that you can follow? Your paladin can follow, or can you make up your own, or is it both? It's both. Can you have an atheist paladin? Uh, by definition, I don't believe so, unless you wanted to make some sort of argument that the belief in in the in the how strongly they believe in how much there isn't a isn't gods there are aren't gods. Well, atheist itself. just really means without God. So they can, can they can they be a free agent paladin with no god? Uh, I mean, I think, I think, again, it's it's a world of 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 adventure and imagination, so anything is possible. But a big tenet of paladins themselves, um, you know what? I'm just gonna read the last thing. Okay. In in this thing, almost by definition, the life of a paladin is an adventuring life, unless a lasting injury has taken him or her away from adventuring for a time. Every paladin lives on the front lines of the cosmic struggle against evil. Fighters are rare enough among the ranks of militias and armies of the world, but even fewer people can claim the true calling of a paladin. When they do receive the call, these warriors turn from their former occupations and take up arms to fight evil. Sometimes their oaths lead them into the service of the crown as leaders of elite groups of knights, but even even then their loyalty is first to the cause of righteousness, not to crown and country. Adventuring paladins take their work seriously. A delve into an ancient ruin or dusty crypt can be a quest driven by higher purpose than the acquisition of treasure. Evil lurks in dungeons and primeval forests, and even the smallest victory against it can tilt the cosmic balance away from oblivion. Hmm. So my, my what I thought I was going to be reading there was specifically about the oaths they take and how specifically important religion is to paladins. This thing says becoming a paladin involves taking vows that commit the paladin to the cause of righteousness and active path of fighting wickedness. The final oath taken when he or she reaches third level is the culmination of all the paladins training. Some characters with this class don't consider themselves true paladins until they have reached third level and made this oath. 
For others, the actual swearing of the oath is a formality, an official stamp on what has always been true in the paladin's heart. So, you can take a bunch of different types of oaths, <laughs> which we don't have to go through at all, but there's a lot of them. Sure. And you can, again, and depending on which gods you choose to, to, to swear an oath to, you know, there's also different benefits. But I think that the, the in terms of what's actually built, I don't think there's a built-in oath of atheism. I think you very much have to commit yourself to one of the established gods or a variant of etc. And you can't be a dark, evil paladin swearing allegiance well, to I didn't a... say that. I mean, is that possible? Well, because because they talk so much about how you got to be committed to you know good and justice as well as your god. You couldn't just be a paladin swearing to Loth. I mean, I think that would end up being a thing where you'd have to. I, I know that Loth, being a god, should be able to be sworn to. But everything I'm seeing is all about is, is suggesting that that's all uh, like fan fiction, sure, fan fan content, sure. Uh, but Loth herself is an established in these books. She's an established deity in this, in these worlds. So, you know, in theory that should, should be a, a one you could swear to. Right. Or, but, uh, unfortunately I, I, I don't really know, but I, I also know that the uh, fifth edition basically did away with, as far as I can tell the concept of, uh, your alignment. So whether or not you were like the whole chaotic, you're, you're, chaotic thing, Right, lawful through chaotic, uh, of evil and good. Right. Again, the the real bottom line with Dungeons and Dragons is it's a it's a world of pure imagination. So if you can imagine it, if you can dream it, you can be it. To mix up musicals, and if just one person believes in you, right, you're a god. I think it's most likely though that like Loth has clerics, and I think it's as we've already witnessed. But uh, anyway, there are other evil gods besides Loth sure. also. Anyway, that's uh, the reason, the distinction I was trying to make, and I, and I apologize to everyone who's still listening uh, for how long this is, is and how the, the doldrum they're in. But I feel like it's important at least to explain these differences in classes to Rob, who does not, un- wouldn't, wouldn't know them implicitly and, you know, deserves to get explanations. And my, my point there was that paladins seem to be the ones who are the leaders of these groups of adventurers or knights, as, as the description said, who will go out in search of evil to to quash and rights and wrongs to be righted. Uh, rangers, while they do that on as, as the description of rangers said on the borderlands, which this counts as, I guess, it still feels it still feels odd right. to see them in a, in a group. I'd say probably one in every six rangers is evil. Dick. And like five rangers is probably the the perfect magic number. I would say three is too few. I don't know how to make this really obscure and dumb Power Rangers reference that I'm trying to make work out. No, I just, I tried. I tried. Because see how like Tommy was the sixth ranger and he was evil at first and then they they were like we gotta make him pure it went over my head because i don't power range and then sometimes the rangers have have like teams of three and those seasons suck and they're always like the primary color ones there's like oh this is a red and blue and yellow rangers whatever anyway 
This episode's far too long, so let's end it. Um, that we got another chapter. That's, I'm, uh, we, it's gonna go quick. Uh, do you have any other notes in that last chapter? No. Good. Fuck it. Let's go on to chapter seven: simmering rage. Summary: Dritz goes hog wild on the Bargus brothers and avenges the f- uh, farming family. It's a brutal fight that ends with Dritz barely making it out alive. But both the Sprite and the Hill Giant members of the Goblin Gang remain. And they're not done with Dritz yet. That's all I have. Uh, so my note here, Dritz goes through this very convoluted, complicated plan of lugging a plowshare up the mountain with him. Mm-hmm. Which is really heavy to catch the super fast sprites to Fanus or whatever uh, in the face Looney Tune style and make him go clong yeah. and fall down the mountain and it just seemed kind of like an odd digression to spend so much time on, on him getting the plowshare up the mountain when I feel like the Thistledown family might have had a frying pan that would have worked a lot easier and I, been I just, funnier it would have been funnier sure but just, I'm like why 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 are why why did you do this? You had to introduce the broken plowshare in the same breath as Dritz going to get it. I, this is so weird. It, it was it was really odd to me. That's that's my. Note. I can I can come up with a with a bad reason. Okay, what's what's your bad reason? My bad reason is the plowshare was already broken, therefore it wouldn't have been of much use to anybody else. So like, whereas a a frying pan probably it was left in the rubble of the family's cottage could still be useful to the surviving members of the family or another family nearby but you know maybe he assumed that it wouldn't be too much to take a bit of broken rubble out to help i mean kill the monsters you're right it's a bad reason and it's still better than what i got <laughs> I, I just felt like we spent a lot of time to make that work in an awkward way oh yeah and i was just like what and then everything yeah. else was this great epic fight. And I'm just, eh, 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 that was, that was my one note. Also that like you, you have this seven chapter build up to this, this bad guy who's honestly sounds pretty evil and gross. He's mentioned and, like, in the prelude or the, right. Yeah. Like he's going to be a big part of this book. And maybe he still will. Like, I don't want to count out that we don't know what the life cycle of these barkests is. We don't know if, if instead of what we would perceive as death, they enter some sort of like comatose state where after an extended period of time, Odin sleep, they return fully able of maybe diminished, but able to resume at some fraction of a level of their previous power. I mean, unless Dritz Highlanders them and removes their heads, I can't imagine that just falling off a cliff is enough for me to believe that the thing's actually dead. His brother, the the one that Dritz was like ginsuing in the throat, probably dead. I don't know. They, they, I, I, I kind of bought the other one was half transformed. He couldn't spend any time to stop his fall. And his I broken like body a... stuck in between yeah. shapes. He was probably also dead. Yeah, like a, like in the thing. Yeah, I I want that to be the case, but uh, it's chapter seven. <laughs> uh, maybe the bad guy is this hill giant. Maybe, I don't know, but like maybe the bad guy's dritzed. Maybe maybe these books are uh, like little novellas strung together, or this one book is like 
and again, that would be very much like a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. I mean, you would potentially have multiple bouts of combat throughout an adventure and one of them just no matter how harrowing it is wouldn't necessarily be the the big fight right of the or have anything to do with the plot maybe well i think this one has a lot to do with the plot but kind of um but it also feels like it's done so when i say the plot of the book this is done that's kind of what i mean well but no again it's it's still i don't it's not done because it's set up drill dritz being accused Right, gotcha. and that, and and arguably that could be the real plot. We could just be looking for a, a a traditional adventurer's plot and miss the delicate, you know, tapestry this, that Salvatore is weaving for us. This is going to be a courtroom drama, maybe. Right, yeah, it it could. It, there's a there. It, it could be that the twist is it gets kind of boring. <laughs> it I, could I would be not. The twist. I love courtroom dramas. This could be yeah. an anatomy of a murder. With Drow. Hey, have you seen that? I've seen it, yes. Do you like it? I mean, I saw it a long time ago. Mm. I haven't I haven't yet watched it since uh, I received it as a wonderful and, and, th- and thoughtful Christmas present. Mm-hmm. It's in my stack of movies too, mm-hmm. Watt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Along with other Christmas presents. <laughs> yes. <laughs> From a couple years ago, in fact. Uh... Nothing like Christmas. To last years. Yeah, I still got that Magnificent Ambersons to watch. That's not from me. No, I didn't say it was true. It's a stack of Christmas presents I haven't got to yet. I heard they got a good staircase in that movie. Look, I gotta wait for the mood. <laughs> what a weird, what a weird thing. I no, you know, honestly, I get it. I know what you mean. Like, I haven't watched a new. I, I've not watched a lot of new movies since last October, right? When my wife overdid it, um, and. I want to watch more new movies, but I can't like really bring myself to do it that much. Yeah. I, uh, on the other hand, in terms of like, like I, there's another part of me that wants to condemn this, uh, premature climax of the book, but I feel like there's a, there's another part of me that feels like, you know, a couple times in these, in these books, I've been surprised and I have enjoyed being surprised mm-hmm. and I don't want to like, I don't want to unduly criticize the books when I'm enjoying the twists and I might've found it too predictable to have a big, bad goblin guy be the bad guy that Dritz has to spend way too long fighting. I mean, that was, that was one of my main criticisms of the Harry Potter series was it was just, it took forever to get to the obvious conclusions. Like, of course that's where they were going. There was very rarely instances where like you really weren't quite sure what was going to happen next. And honestly, the only one I could think of that was like, that was the last book and it's ending was rushed too, and, and, and sudden and seemingly arbitrary Mm -hmm. with this whole introduction of these new, these new quest items you have to destroy that all have to be done in one book. Right. But uh, uh, so I'm 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 kind of looking forward to the next episode of our show because the next couple of chapters because something interesting could happen because because this is kind of like a perfect place to end an episode for mm-hmm. us because mm-hmm. it does cap my what I expected the whole book to be mm-hmm. so from who, here who knows on where I, I could go exactly I mean I kind of have expectations because the Rangers have been introduced and we know where this other thing's going I kind of expect to restart the hunt for dritz by the rangers and then 
Drizzt hunts the... Maybe Drizzt is also hunted by the hill giant and the sprite is still alive. So, like, maybe those forces all culminate and catch him at the same time. Maybe he meets up with the rangers and they join forces and go off to kill the hill giant. It could be a number of different things. Uh, look, I'm just saying, if in the next couple of chapters, Drizzt gets arrested, gets arrested, and the rest of the book is an episode of Fairy Mason, I would be all for that. Fairy Mason's good. Uh... Nice. I don't have another joke. It's okay. I was like, NYPD drow. <laughs> the 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 Maldabar files. Nothing worth saying out loud. Drow in order. <laughs> drow in order. Anyway, do you have anything else to say about this chapter? I do not. All right. Well. In our next episode, we'll start with uh, chapter eight and we'll read through. It's going to be a thick one. We're going to read through chapters 13. So do not read chapter 14. That's not that thick. Are they they really big chapters? No, it's it's just like it's it's roughly the same, but it feels because the first the first book has those like prelude and the the other stuff. Yeah, there's little the parts in it. It, it gets it gets a little like it's a little light but this one is around 80 or so pages of solid middle of the book shit so that's where we'll, we'll meet up next time to discuss sojourn sojourn yeah that's what i said sure drizzt drizzt nothing matters man nothing does that brings us to the end of the episode i'm doug i'm rob thanks for listening thank you If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers. And please discuss us extensively on Reddit. I scared the poop out of myself last week because I put my SD card in the computer and it said there was no file there. And I went, uh oh, and I cycled it all out and put in other SD cards, and I put this one back in, and the file was there. Wow. Good story, right? I hated that story, but it was because it scared me so much. Well, but you've already got the episode. That's why I waited to tell you about that story. Like, I'm sitting there editing it, and I'm like, I'm not going to tell Doug that story yet. I'm going to make sure he has the episode before I even tell him that story. It's not that. It's not the risk of the episode that scares me because I know I've already got it. It's that you could do this again. <laughs> you could strike again. I think I think you'd have a lot more symp- uh, empathy for me if, or maybe sympathy for me, if you understood how hard it is to be a person who doesn't like Hamilton. Everyone's have to get you if you if you dare to say, yeah, didn't really like it, and then they all go, <gasps> how dare you? He's a witch. Why won't he conform? It's a hard life you've chosen. It's not a choice. I I was born this way. Have you tried not not liking Hamilton? I did try not not liking Hamilton. I I prayed so hard. Did that you get I, down on your knees and ask Lin Manuel into your heart? Yeah, I sat in the balcony and looked into the light. And at the end of it, I still didn't like it. I paid a lot of money to give 
Lin-Manuel Miranda the opportunity to convert me. But it did not work. Then again, I haven't tried ad nauseum. I haven't made my entire life to commit myself to liking Hamilton no matter how much I don't like it. Stricken with guilt over slaying the Nulls, Dritz surveils the human family who were their intended victims in the hopes... That St. Nicholas soon would be there. Sorry, it's... My, my phone does this really obnoxious thing where it will not fucking write what I'm typing and it will autocorrect things with words that are real words but mean nothing in the context because it's not the correct it's not the correct word <laughs> you sure you're not using so, dictation I'm definitely not it's not the correct word <laughs> <laughs>